Welcome to Brainwaves Bistro. Grab yourselves a cuppa, kick back, and join us for mental health talk with a positive vibe. Here's Julianne. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Peter Alexander Cameron MacDonald. And I think we'll have a cuppa of Scottish breakfast tea today instead of a cuppa of English or Billabong. Why not? Sit back, relax, and hear a wonderful story. Now, Peter has an order of the Medal of Australia, which is the highest recognition of outstanding service and achievement to Australia. And he's done more than that. It's for the world, really. He's been a mayor, a member of parliament. He's worked for Medicine Sans Frontieres, Doctors Without Borders. He has worked in Timor in Timor Aid, and he's the founder of Papua New Guinea's Australian Doctors International, which I'll say that again, a lot of work is done by ADI in Papua New Guinea. Now, Peter, tell us how you came from Glasgow to Australia. Tell us your, your journey. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, and Julianne, just just uh, at the outset, thank you for that very kind introduction, and uh, I really appreciate it. Um, uh, you sometimes don't recognise uh, yourself when somebody else makes that, that sort of broad description, but yeah, it's been a quite a quite a busy life. I I uh, I uh, left Scotland uh, about fifty five years ago, uh, and I was a young uh, doctor of about twenty seven at the time. Had worked a bit in in uh, Scotland itself, and also. Uh, in the Middle East. I came from a family, a fairly uh, poor family in Scotland, who of whom there were three brothers. And my mother, to her everlasting credit, encouraged us all to emigrate. And that was a very much a trend coming out of Scotland and Ireland particularly. So I was one of those that emigrated and I chose to go to Australia. Australia was very keen uh, to have doctors at that time and there was a shortage. So I had a fairly clear pathway and uh, as much as one regrets leaving your homeland, and and uh, and there's still a lot of that within your DNA, of course, I found uh, a, a, a very happy pathway here in Australia to go from being a, a GP into other co- sort of community activities. So, yeah, it, it was a it, it was a great great beginning. Well, we benefited so much from your educational pursuits. He went to very prestigious universities, uh, Edinburgh, London. One of my favourites, you worked at King's College, which has a faculty in brain and neuroscience and neuroscience imagery. So you have uh, brought a lot of wealth of knowledge. You have obstetrics, you have anaesthetics, and you uh, work as a, a general practitioner. But the most special thing about you, Peter, is many, many years ago when my little boy was suffering from croup at the age of age, eight months, I think he was, we brought him down and you just made these two very worried parents so, so grateful. So that's one little gem you did. Well, that, that's that's kind of you. And thank you for that uh... Uh, ringing endorsement of my uh, clinical skills <laughs> but uh, in fact I do have some postgrad qualifications but I, I in fact first came to Australia uh, at the, about the age of uh, uh, 
22, 23, uh, playing rugby uh, on, a, on a rugby oh, tour. Cool. And I realized it was, it was the country that I'd like to settle in. But I had to go back and get additional qualifications, as you mentioned, anesthetics and obstetrics, because the the, the level and the standard of care and, and qualifications of doctors here was just that little bit higher than in the UK. Uh, and uh, it, it allowed me to establish a general practice in Manly. And uh, I mean, how lucky was I to uh, discover a place like Manly? And I set up a what they call the shingles. We called it. Uh, you put your shingles up. You put your sign up on the on the gate outside the property, and uh, and wait for patients to roll up, which was kind of a slow process over YouTube. But I did that in Manly, and uh, and 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 also, as I mentioned, I was an an anaesthetist, and that that. Was a was a kind of a cash aspect of it that you could you could get anaesthetic work very easily, but it takes a while to build a general practice, and mm. that took me uh, probably two years at least to get to the point where I could put bread on the table. But it was a lovely table in Manly, I'll tell you. You were very very wise to come to my hunting ground where I grew up, Manly, and well, then became mayor. Well, that that was quite a bit later, but. In fact, my practice was on the beachfront at Manly, and there was a lot of pollution in the water in those days, Julianne. Terrible, really. They really? They, they, they dumped sewage straight onto the beach. This is the, the water authorities. And, on, you know, on a bad day, it could be pretty unpleasant experience to go into the water. And I lobbied, as it is associated with polluted water, eye infections, ear infections, etc., for change. And it didn't happen. So I, I, this would be about 15 years after I'd established my practice. Much to my wife's chagrin, I joined the local, I got elected onto a local council. I ran for state, uh, the state chamber. And as a result of that, and I spent eight years, I was re-elected once, so it was a four-year term. Uh, and I managed to get uh, legislation through that, that dealt with pollution in the water. So that was probably my lasting legacy in terms of improvement here in the community. And uh, yeah, um, it was a very exciting time and it toughened me up a bit. I can tell you getting involved in both local politics and state politics, but, and it also took a lot away from my medical practice. I, I would probably be joined, uh, driving a, a Bentley or a Rolls Royce now and, and not a, you know, a, a secondhand Japanese car if I'd actually not got involved in politics, but it made my life uh, much richer. I, I mean, think... richer in spirit rather than richer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on your page. I often think that I get a lot of joy out of um, admiring people like you and giving back. So, yeah, I, I want to move on a little bit because yes. you then went with MSF, Doctors Without Borders, to Iran and you worked with people south of Tehran. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, and, and I have nothing but praise for MSF, which is the biggest private health NGO in the world. And... Uh, uh, receives the vast uh, majority, if not all, its money from private uh, subscriptions and so on. Uh, and uh, they, they, you, you apply for a position and then they, they offer this, that or the next. I was offered to go and uh, help support uh, clinics on the border between Iran and Afghanistan. There were a lot of Afghan refugees pouring over west into Iran. And I have to say that 
my time in Iran, my respect for the Iranians, my respect for what they are doing there in terms of supporting refugees is just immense. And uh, so I worked in Mashhad, which is uh, about uh, about 20 kilometers west of the Afghan border. So refugees would pour over during the evening, during the night, and we'd see them in and um, monitor them and examine them during the day, and then they'd move into into refugee camps and so on. But mm. it was a it, it was a very um, rewarding experience, and and I, as I say, MSF are very well organised, and I had a particularly uh, challenging uh, but great experience there. Well, I've been supporting them for twenty years now, and I think it's wonderful what they do. And uh, I think too, where you were there. They, they help sex workers. They help children on the street. They do so much work. And we're in Gaza now, and we were in Gaza before um, the blow-up, and the doctors were there in the hospital. And I see every so often clips of what's going on, and it reminds us of people like you and what you do in these international areas of conflict and trauma. So thank you again for what you do there. Julianne, that's kind of you. I, in fact, uh, in, in Iran, which uh, there was no immediate conflict there, it was all happening in Afghanistan next door. Mm. But you're absolutely right that a lot of the, the, the logisticians and, the, and the, the health personnel put their put their lives a bit at risk where they work and, 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 and well done to them. So, yeah, I, after a long time for MSF, I, in fact, went and worked with MSF uh, after my eight years in Parliament. And I kind of got restless uh, after eight years in Parliament. I, I found it was going to be difficult to go back into general practice and, and sit behind a desk. So that's that's what prompted me to get into international aid work. And after I came back, I did work in Timor, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, for a while. Of course, there was a lot of conflict there. It was a difficult time. Australia was heavily involved, but what really uh, uh, grabbed my ideals was to start an international aid agency here in Sydney uh, to deal with the, the problems in Papua New Guinea, which is, our, as you know, is our nearest neighbour. And thus, we, uh, a, a number of friends and myself established Australian Doctors International, which uh, deploys health personnel and health services into PNG. Yes. So I've been it's 23 years since it, we established it in the year 2000. 2000. And you were the founder. You were the CEO. Yes. I, yes. I was the founder, yeah. I, I, and uh, I think we've, uh, in that time, deployed something like 120 volunteer doctors to go and work in, in uh, uh, very remote parts of PNG. Again, uh, many of your listeners would, would not know that Papua New Guinea uh, is is arguably one of the wildest and most uh, difficult places to work. It's got a population of about 8 million. It's the largest of the Pacific nations. Uh, uh, but in that country, there are 800 languages. So you could understand wow. the diverse ethnicity of a country like that. Travel is difficult. Access is difficult. Services are very sparse. So there was a lot of need in that country. But uh, the like all the Melanesian people, they're incredibly hospitable and very welcoming. And uh, slowly, as the years have gone by over the last twenty-three years, the organisation has, in a way, uh, you know, learned it's learnt how to effectively deliver services in really remote and, and inaccessible areas. Doctor um, Bob 
saw a passage because we were looking up where, I think it's the North Fly of the river, and a beautiful passage by one of your volunteer doctors. And would you like to listen to what he has said and described about that situation and where he was placed? Barb, would you like to read that? Thank you, uh, Julianne. I'm uh, Barbara Smith and I assist Julianne on our technical calls and some other things, co-hosting. So Dr. Chris McCall of Australian Doctors International's volunteer, uh, he wrote this beautiful piece. He said, imagine a place where to go anywhere, you have to travel by water, through a maze of confusing rivers and lake channels around uh, floating sands of grass that move, uh, but boat fuel is hard to come by and expensive. Many villages have no real health service, even a small health post, although tuberculosis, leprosy and malaria are common. The Bosset region of Papua New Guinea's western province, part of the Middle Fly District, is a vast, flat, swampy area with spectacular vistas and impressive bird life. But for its human inhabitants, it's a land with a lot of health problems where options for treatment are limited by geography. The health clinic only has power during the day as the batteries that should supply power at night do not work. With limited internet and mobile phone coverage, some of the Riverside communities mainly receive news of the outside world by word of mouth. Yes, it's a long way away. And remote and difficult. You have clinical services there, Doctor, but also you do a lot of psychosocial work in terms of helping with, say, domestic violence um, areas that go a little outside of the clinical but deal too with the well-being and mental health of those people. Yeah, sadly, there is a fairly high incidence of domestic violence in uh in a, a number of the Pacific nations. I, I mean, it happens, happens in every community, but I just think the level of education is less there. So what we can bring is an awareness of the ills of domestic violence, the uh, an introduction to what is, 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 is acceptable norm and uh, acceptable behavior amongst, particularly amongst men, but it's also amongst women. And uh, that's one of the things that ADI... Uh, prides itself in is that it's a development organization and not a welfare organization now those two are different a welfare organization uh would just essentially go and treat patients and have that medication and make people better that's welfare development is actually to train staff to build up the capacity of health centers uh to do patrols uh to uh to to, to train them in, in community health and and um, vaccination and preventative health and so on, so so that you can walk away one day. I mean, the the vision of ADI is to walk away, walk out of Papua New Guinea, and leave it in a better state. I mean, clearly that's what development is about, and uh, that didn't come naturally to me because I'm a I'm a G, GP doctor, uh, and uh, we basically are welfare providers, so we see patients, we diagnose them. And we hopefully we can make them better, and that is welfare. So I've I've learned a lot about what the word development means, and it is about capacity building. It is about sustainability. It is about uh, improvement 
in the level of skills. So you might have three or four nurses working in a in a clinic in a remote part of Papua New Guinea. Some of them who uh, haven't had any training for ten or fifteen uh, uh, ten or fifteen years since they graduated from nursing school, and things have changed, and they need uh, you know moral support, and they need they need enthusiasm from uh, organisations like ourselves. We get enormous uh, uh, support from the PNG government. I, I mean, not so much financial support, but we get uh, a, a lot of uh, we have partnerships with all the provincial governments where we work. And they're delighted to see us. They're delighted to accept uh, our advice and act, act as, as co-partners in a lot of the work we do. Uh, and I also should, while I have an opportunity, is to um, acknowledge the support from the Australian government. And uh, uh, I think I said earlier that Papua New Guinea is, the, is Australia's closest neighbour. It's only five kilometres between the tip of Australia and the, uh, the border of Papua New Guinea. Uh, and yet, m- most Australians don't know anything about Papua New Guinea. Most of them certainly have never been there. Uh, and yet, so the Australian government, as its nearest neighbour, has made the policy decision to support uh, particularly health in PNG. So we, uh, particularly in recent years, have been the recipients of quite generous uh, grants to continue our work there. And I, I want to say thank you to the Australian government for doing that. I mean, they... They also help other Pacific nations, but clearly uh, Papua New Guinea is by far the biggest of the Pacific nations and also the closest neighbour. And very close to us in historical terms as well after World War II. There's such a history there that um, we should remember. Now, we can donate, can't we? Because I actually donate to you guys. I give up a cup of coffee a week. Just uh, Well, actually, I donate monthly. And we can do that, but very, very simply, by Googling. We just go to Australian Doctors International, ADI, go into the link, press the button, donate. You can make a one-off donation. You can donate monthly, whatever suits you. And I think it's wonderful because so many of our doctors, they give up a lot to go and do these wonderful things for people. So we as Australian communities should also support as well as the government. And I think, too, we don't want to forget our mental health research people either. It's Black Dog Institute. Do the same then. Donate. Just Google Black Dog Institute. And I know you have a lot of time for mental health research, Doctor. Well, I think getting back to the donations to both Black Dog and ADR, of course, they're, they're both organisations which we would strongly argue merit your support or the support of your listeners. Uh, but ADI.org, that's O-R-G dot A-U, ADI.org dot A-U is the ADI website. You just go in there and then click on donate. And you're right that... Uh, and the other thing is that we're proud of the fact that between 85 and 87 cents in the dollar actually goes into the field. We don't, we're not top heavy in terms of administration. Clearly, there needs to be some management of large projects, and that, that is where the administration comes in. But ADR runs on a bit of a smell of an oily rag. You know, it's, it's, uh, it keeps its um, costs down so that the, those who are donating, and we have large uh, private do- donors, we have private donors who also give generously. They want to know the money is being efficiently spent. 
Well, I know that MSF is the same. It is volunteer and a lot of the money that goes, or most of it, goes onto the field. Same with ADI. This is wonderful. Um, I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Dr. Peter MacDonald, for always supporting me, supporting Manly, supporting the state, supporting Australia, MSF and ADI, and you're blessed. We are blessed to have you from Glasgow to Manly. And, Barb, thank you as always. And also, hey, let's have a great day, but a better day tomorrow. Thank you all.